Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. Welcome back to the Gospel for Life. Um, we are one man down today. Uh, Josh Bales um, had other commitments up in northern Idaho, I believe, so he is not with us today, but Phil and Jonathan are here. Gentlemen, good to have you. Good to be here. As always. We have been talking and just beginning really to talk about Advent. Um, if you missed yesterday's show, we just did a little bit of a backdrop on what is Advent and why do we pause and, and celebrate and work through um, up till Christmas, the coming of, of Jesus Christ. Advent just simply means uh, arrival or coming. Um, it, we're looking back to the first coming of Jesus Christ so many thousands of years ago, but we also look forward to his second coming. Um, and as Phil mentioned yesterday, Advent really is a season of hope, um, a hope for the original generation that um, were waiting for the coming of, of Jesus Christ the first time, and a hope for us, um, a sure hope based upon the what Jesus Christ accomplished. Hope is not a... a a question mark of will it happen? Wishful thinking. It's a surety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is not Jiminy Cricket hope. <clears throat> when, when you wish upon a star, your dreams come true. Uh, that makes a, an entertaining cartoon, uh, but that's not the kind of hope uh, that we're talking about. We're talking about a hope that's grounded in the in the events uh, that are recorded in, recorded in the Gospels. And, uh, and so, the promises that we have from God himself, who yes. cannot lie. Amen. So maybe some of you have been involved in a Christmas Eve service called Lessons and Carols. Um, it's a, a service in which the promises and prophecies of the coming Savior are traced throughout the Old Testament until the, their culmination uh, with the birth of, of Jesus Christ. And typically the service alternates between scripture readings, maybe a short devotional thought, and then you sing a carol, and then you go back to um, a scripture passage, a short devotional, mm-hmm. and then you sing a carol. And you're really, it traces the story from the very beginning. Typically, it would start in Genesis 3, uh, the first gospel promise, then goes through the Old Testament where that promise is, um, Calvin would say, it just gets a little bit more, um, a little more light is added. Um, as you continue mm-hmm. your journey through the Old Testament, you get a little bit more clarity of, of the coming Messiah until you get to the Gospels and then you get the full light um, that Jesus Christ has has come. So in the next couple days, we're going to kind of do a lessons and carols, but we're just going to settle in on one Christmas carol um, called Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Um, and it might be helpful um, just to do a little bit of a background on the, the carol. Um, and by the way, uh, you you chose 
my favorite carol. Uh, th- this is uh, far and above uh, my favorite uh, Christmas carol, and it, because it is so theologically rich, uh, and you know there are other carols obviously that have biblical truth in them, but uh, this this one uh, by Charles Wesley, uh, with some help from some others, uh, is is the most theologically weighty, biblically weighty of of the Christmas carols. It's filled yes. filled with gospel. Yeah, Charles Charles wrote this uh, a year after his own conversion, and you know you you think how did somebody write something so theologically rich? Well, one he was committed to God's word, even before that he and his brother had. Um, developed a holy club while they were at Oxford, included in there was George Whitfield. And so they were very studious men. They both had, you know, John and Charles grew up in a pastor's home uh, with scriptures read, but, you know, they had, it, they weren't converted. They they had it in their head, but not in their heart. They didn't yeah. understand that, the, that, you know, they didn't understand the very necessity of, of knowing a Redeemer personally. But so when, when, uh, Charles, you know, when when the light comes into his, his into his heart, he ends up writing um, this hymn, this carol, and it originally it was uh, ten um, stanzas, you know, four lines each. I think uh, even in the longest hymn that we have is probably like five five stanzas, um, but we've multiplied the lines, so we may may keep most of it. Uh, but he he also had help. After he'd written it, you know, some years later, uh, George Whitfield, one of those men with whom he had an identity in the Holy Club, who uh, John and George had both gone into itinerant preaching ministries, you know, in the fields and, and you know, byways. But uh, George actually came back and um, cleaned up some of the lines in it. Uh, added some other thought, and uh, and then later, even later, one of um, another cohort of theirs uh, took it upon himself to change a few few lines, um, so that what we have is the the work of the church. Actually, we have the a compilation mm-hmm. of, of of a number of people, uh, you know, perfecting something. I think this is something that's missing actually in uh, today's music. You know, the you know. Uh, we don't get it. We don't get to perfect some of the work of, uh, you mm-hmm. know, the the musical writer because sometimes there are some theologically imprecise things that ought to be corrected. Because, you know, as Luther says, "You tell me what the people are singing, I'll tell you what they know about God." Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. very important that we're very that we are accurate uh, with yes. these things. Yeah. Well, let, let me read uh, the first verse. I I promise not to attempt to sing it. Uh, Here is stanza one of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Hark the Herald Angels Sing, glory to the newborn King, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. So from this stanza, what what do we learn about Jesus Christ um, from this opening stanza? Well, for, 
You know, I think that we learned something right off from the bat in terms of, uh, you know, where we're, we're told to listen to the message of the angels. Uh, you know, Hebrews mm-hmm. tells us that uh, the angels are, are ministering spirits for our salvation. And so there's a very important message that's being proclaimed here by the, you know, this is, you know, you know this is a unique uh, presentation of God's message, too. Well, and, and by the way, uh, the Greek word angel, angelos, um, simply means messenger. Right. Uh, the angels are messengers from God. Uh, they do not speak on their own authority. Uh, they, angels always bring a message directly from God. And so in Luke chapter 2, uh, we need to pay very careful attention, and that's what stanza one of, of Hark the Herald Angels is is saying to us when it says hark, that means listen. Yeah, behold. Listen to what yeah. they say. Yeah, it's an exclamation point, you mm-hmm. know, hark. And, uh, you know, I mentioned Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verse uh, 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are uh, to inherit salvation? And so this is... This is the message. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming from God through these messengers um, to the in the scriptures in Luke chapter two. It's first spoken out to the shepherds there, and they're bringing a message. The angels brought a message of peace, mm-hmm. and that tells us something um, because they're saying, "And on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased." Well that implies that there wasn't peace. There's no right. need to bring something that you already possess. Mm-hmm. And so the angels are declaring that with the birth of Jesus Christ, peace has come. Well, mm-hmm. what do they mean by that? Well, uh, it means peace with God. Uh, that through Christ, through his uh, coming into the world, in his death in our place and his resurrection victory, we, as we receive him, can have peace with God. Now, some, some might ask, well, why, why do we need to have peace with God? Uh, I remember uh, a famous quote from the English playwright George Bernard Shaw. Uh, somebody asked him, had he been reconciled to God? And he said, reconciled? I didn't know we had quarreled. Mm-hmm. And... Which shows the ignorance on George Bernard Which Shaw's part. Which shows the, part. the ignorance yeah. on George Bernard Shaw's part. He, mm-hmm. he was an atheist, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but the truth is that the human race is at war with God. The human race, uh, as, as C.S. Lewis said, we are not, um, and I'm going to paraphrase here because I don't remember the exact quote, but C.S. Lewis said, we are not people who just need a little bit more information about God. We are rebels who need to lay down our arms. Mm-hmm. And uh, because we are in rebellion against God, if, if we are still in our sin, uh, because we are in rebellion against God, we are at war with him. Uh, uh, Tim Keller said something once that really stuck in my mind. He said, the human race is at war with God, and I can prove it. The one time that God took on human flesh and came among us, we killed him. Mm -hmm. Uh, So 
that is the depth of the conflict. Mm-hmm. The human race couldn't bear to have God in the flesh with us and, and killed him. And yet God used that to reconcile the world to himself. Um, and so this message of reconciliation really comes through uh, in this first stanza. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ is the reconciling king. That's why he came. So one of the, the ro- you can um, break down the birth of Jesus Christ, the coming of Jesus Christ, and talk about it as the reasons why he came came to to be born, came to die. You can talk about it either direction because it's the same thing. He came to to give his life as a ransom. Um, And the scriptures are very clear that there's only one mediator between God and man, um, Mm -hmm. the man Christ Jesus. And so this whole idea of as we enter into the Christmas season, um, really foundational to that whole celebration is knowing why he had to come. And, and that's what Phil was, was talking so, so well about, that we were those that were in, in rebellion against God. We were outside of communion and harmony with God. We were, we were resistant to him and opposed to him. Mm-hmm. And we needed one that could, could bring peace where there was only war. And the most amazing thing about this is being rebels, uh, we are, you know, and subject to condemnation and judgment. The first message out here is a message of mercy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, you know, it's pointed out, joyful all ye nations rise. You know, I, I mentioned uh, the other day, this is a distributable news. This was not just news for a small amount of people in Palestine. This is a, ma- a, a news that was going to affect all nations. In fact, Abraham had been given this promise that in him, all the nations would be blessed. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. Amen. And you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We'll see you tomorrow. 